0: Hello Creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 530 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 31st of January 2021 as I record this. And uh, it's certainly very strange that it's February this week. The pandemic seems to have this weird effect on time. It's both super slow and going on forever and yet also speeding by really fast. I don't know if you're feeling the same way. But uh, here as I walk along the canal again and again, the snowdrops are starting to appear and the crocuses are coming through in the botanical gardens and I really hope that spring is coming soon to rescue us from this bleak midwinter but there we go so in today's show I'm talking to Sarah Painter about stop worrying start selling change your author mindset which will definitely inspire you to think more creatively about your author career and how you think about marketing as well as embracing your ambition and we talk about lots of things I know you're going to find it interesting so that is coming up in publishing news, well, Spotify did launch their audiobooks this week. Users had a pop up on the screen with public domain audiobooks recorded by actors, including Forrest Whitaker and Hilary Swank, and uh, of course they're all included in the in the subscription. And Spotify also became the world's leadest leading podcast platform in twenty twenty, uh, reportedly forty two percent of podcast listeners, Apple at thirty two percent. So that's interesting as. On the drum. So I'm definitely investigating how we can get our audiobooks onto Spotify. There is a company called Zebrilution which does, uh, does it in one way, but uh, I think I want to wait to see what Spotify do themselves. I think this is going to be interesting. Given that independent musicians get their music onto Spotify, I can't see why we won't be able to get our audiobooks on there at some point. So watch this space. It, I'm sure it will be happening at some point soon. And I certainly want my audiobooks on there, my wide audiobooks, obviously, because even if you accept that you're going to get a lower royalty, it's going to be a micropayment, basically. It's just another way to get people into our ecosystem. And uh, it's another reader base, essentially. So I'm quite excited about that. As you know, I'm always excited about new opportunities to get our words into people's heads. In my personal update, I'm now in the editing phase of How to Make a Living with Your Writing, third edition, which is actually pretty intense. Uh, I'm I'm quite happy with it, but there's my first editing draft is essentially line editing, so it's quite hard work. But I will have it done in the next couple of days, and then I'll what I then do. So my editing process is: I finish the first draft when it is a readable book, and every single chapter it is finished as such. And then I print it out and I do the first pass by hand, and that is a pretty intense draft covered in ink then I print it out and do it again another pass through which generally only has a few uh, things per page so it gets a lot less covered in ink and then I run it through pro writing aid and then I send it to several readers. And I'm gonna put the pre order up probably by next Monday. I'll announce that the pre orders up and I'll have it out before the end of March. And uh yeah, so I'm I'm really happy with that actually. And I've got <laughs> in a way it's difficult because it's given me loads more ideas for things I want to do in learning about what others are doing. So, yes, a big thank you to all of you who have done the survey. It was so wonderful to read all your comments and suggestions and see how many ways you are all making money. With your writing, or oh, not all of you, I know, not all of you listening, but all the people who did the survey. It was, I, I checked out loads of books and websites and learned more about lots of you, which is fantastic. And I love seeing author pictures, and there are some very serious faces, and then lots of smiles and great book covers. And uh, seriously, we are an incredible bunch. And I also enjoyed seeing how many of you have used my author website tutorial. <laughs> to create your websites that was always fun and if if you need an author website just go to thecreativepen.com forward slash author website for my tutorial so I will contact the winners of the draw this week and I'm actually going to do a blog post with some of the highlights of the survey so everyone can see it you won't have to buy the book to to see the and I'll share that on the show obviously so that will be out in the next few weeks there were just some lovely things that people were doing. I am also really ready to get back into fiction. I was thinking about this this week. I'm finding this edit just really intense. I feel like I need a holiday. I think we all do. (laughs) I need a holiday from my life. But this edit is quite hard. I'm finding it very tiring and sleeping a lot in between. (laughs) But I am very ready to get back into fiction. I think this is why I like writing nonfiction and fiction Uh, together or not together you know alternately because when I really get over one of them I want to write the other and I've definitely had a bit of a non-fiction phase so I really want to get back to fiction I have a story I've been writing notes on it will be a short story I very rarely do short stories in fact I've mainly only ever written short stories to commission, which I know is a very lucky place to be but uh, I'm pretty interested to see how this goes and then I might even be submitting it to markets rather than just self publishing it so because when I've been reading about you know people making different streams of income. The short story one is fascinating. Of course, I've had um, Matty Dalrymple has been on the show talking about short stories. Douglas Smith has been on talking about short stories. And they are a very interesting thing all to themselves. Great creatively, great for marketing, great for that real multiple streams of income because you can license them so many times. So yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do next. But I'm holding myself back from writing it until I've got this edit out. So another week. And of course, as a reminder, I have a lockdown special on my ebooks, audiobooks and courses. 50% off if you use the coupon lockdown. And uh, that is if you go to the creativepen.com forward slash books or courses, you'll be able to buy those direct from me. And that is valid until I get out of lockdown three. I'm really ready to get out of here. That's for sure. In useful stuff this week, really interesting discussion about story rubric and non-fiction rubric on the Writers Inc podcast. And if you need help understanding whether your fiction or non-fiction measures up, check out this episode. Or you can also get free templates at storyrubric.com and nonficrubric.com. I have to confess, I did not know what rubric was. <laughs> Before Jay Thorne discussed it with JD Barker and Zach Bohannon on the Writers Inc. podcast. But it's basically the rules of how something is evaluated with different levels. So, for example, characterization underdeveloped Characterization might be characters are not distinctive, are unrelatable, unlikable, have no distinctive voice or behaviour. And the top level is excellent. Characters are unique, engaging, realistic, dynamic and likeable. Readers can become raving fans of the characters. So, and the story rubric covers dialogue, protagonist, wants and needs, character arc, genre, expectations, setting and world building, emotional tone, theme pacing, showing versus telling, passive voice, conflict, choice and consequence, which is, it's very, very good. I've actually printed it out. It's free. Uh, Jay Thorne has created this and made it free. It's also Creative Commons, so you can adjust it how you like. And yeah, so go and check that episode out on writers Ink, and again as i said don't and don't feel stupid if you don't know what rubric is i literally didn't know and jay did say that this was something out of his teaching career <laughs> so fair enough if we didn't know what it was but those templates are certainly very useful so thank you to jay thorne for sharing those i as i said i've got them on my desk for my short story it's always good to go back to the basics and look at all right have i really done all of these different things also, quite a different angle. The Ask Alloy podcast this week has an episode on how to get paid for poetry with Orna Ross and Trish Hopkinson, which will make some people gasp, I'm sure, because for some poetry and money together in the same conversation is uh, is just scary. So, yeah, very interesting. And um, Orna and Trish, they're talking about poetry. Right, so thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Amy says, I love hearing about your big failures (laughs) because it makes me feel better about mine. Some majorly painful moments that still hurt sometimes if I think too hard. But it's true, those failures lead you on your path. And I was actually thinking about this this week. I'm actually in in my 15th year of this author journey, I started writing that first nonfiction book in 2006. And I was looking at pictures of myself the other day going, wow, I look really young. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's because it's 15 years ago. (laughs) So yeah, 15 years, you've got to make some mistakes in 15 years, that's for sure. Uh, Christine also said, great advice in this week's interview. I'll be sharing it with my daughter, who's considering setting up a creative business. I listened to the show while clearing paperwork from my last, hopefully last ever, office job. That's good. Uh, Thanks for the snowy dog walking pictures from Miriam and also Karen. Really sweet. And Mark Leslie Lefebvre sent a picture shoveling snow. <laughs> in Waterloo, Ontario in Canada and really appreciating that I was enjoying my little light dusting of snow while <laughs> he was shoveling. A couple more, Kev says, brilliant episode, so many podcasts are about how to do things the right way without acknowledging the fact that our most important lessons come from getting it wrong and to a degree the more spectacular the failure, the more valuable the lesson. So yes, that is uh, one of those things. Although Kev also says he's had multiple businesses like I, I did and my mistakes are few and less costly. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about this too, about how our writing career, yes, investment in editing and cover design if you're going indie is, is important, but it is a lot less than the investments you have to do if you're trying to start any other type of business. And finally, Liz says, I just wanted to say after your interview with Yudin Jaya and listening to your appearance on Kindle Chronicles, I something clicked in my brain and I suddenly feel optimistic about the future of technology and motivated to educate myself about it. I used to be one of those humanity is doomed. We will end up slaves to tech. Our data will be sold to anyone with the money and all good things about life will end. (laughs) I now think it's unrealistic to look at things in such black and white terms. Every technological advancement has positives and negatives, but it's all led us to this point. Thank you for opening my eyes to the possibilities. Really glad you feel that way, Liz. And I've actually had a few emails from people who were going through the same thing. So I'm thrilled about that. If I can get more people positive and engaged in the changes to come, that is achieving one of my many goals. So fantastic. Fantastic. So, today's show is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, writing and editing software that goes way beyond just grammar and typo checking. And as I said before, I am about to use it again this week. I actually use it several times during my editing process. Firstly, before sending the book to my editor or the story or whatever, and that basically fixes as much as possible, like passive voice, for example we just cannot help it. There's something about being a writer, I think, that passive voice just happens. And of course, passive language is fine sometimes, but it is one of the biggest issues for writers. And Pro Writing Aid helps me pick up passive language, comma usage, which I've mentioned several times, I still struggle with, just cannot deal with commas, really. Uh, and all the, you know, things where stuff doesn't make sense or if it's overwordy pro writing aid helps me fix as much as i can before i send it to my editor and then once i get do all my changes and um, make all the updates after i get it back i use pro writing aid one more time before i format for publication because inevitably when you make changes you mess up something else so that is why i use pro writing aid it is fantastic because you can use it with scrivener so i open my scrivener document with pro writing aid and the changes go straight into scrivener and this this helps me uh, and why i switched to pro writing aid because i used to copy and paste chapters into grammarly but pro writing aid integrates with scrivener so you can uh, just use it per page. You can copy and paste things in or whatever, but you can also open it up uh, with various different tools. It has a lot of integration, but because I write with Scrivener, I'm pretty excited about that. There are reports that you can use to look at things like sentence length variation, complexity, adverbs, repeated words, which is super useful, especially for things like writing for audio books. As I've mentioned before, when you're writing for audio, you do need to make sure you don't have these sort of repeated words that that jar people out of listening. So, yeah, really super useful software, and we all need tools to help us become better at the craft. And I learn something every time I put my writing through Pro Writing Aid. It's also not just for more techie people like myself, my mum, who is what is she, 73 now. <laughs> She writes as Penny Appleton. She's pretty techphobic, but once I introduced her to Pro Writing Aid, she absolutely loves it. And she dictates her first drafts and also uses an extreme amount of exclamation marks. <laughs> So using ProWritingAid means that she gets her manuscript into a much better shape than it used to be before it came to me, her first reader. So yeah, I'm pretty, well, you know, I don't share things that I don't believe in and wholeheartedly advocate for. And ProWritingAid has definitely helped my writing process. You can check out the free edition or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link, prowritingaids.com forward slash Joanna. ProWritingA.com forward slash Joanna J-O-A-N-N-A. Right, so this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my lovely patrons who essentially sponsor my brain. Thank you to new patrons, Michelle Badger, Stephen Kotowich and Natnitsha Tewaditep. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon, especially for continuing to support in these difficult times. I really appreciate it. You can support the show with just a couple of dollars a month and it's not forever if you want to just pop in in for a couple of months and pop out again you're very welcome to do that um, it's definitely not forever you get the extra monthly Q&A audio which I sent out last week for January and of course now will be in February so there'll be another one coming out soon you can support the show at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen right let's get into the interview Sarah Painter is the author of urban fantasy and supernatural thriller novels, as well as nonfiction for authors, including Stop Worrying, Start Selling, The Introvert Author's Guide to Marketing. Welcome back, Sarah. Oh, Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you back on the show. Now, you were on the show in 2017, but for those who might have missed that, or obviously it's been a few years, so tell us a bit more about you and what has
1: changed since then? So yes, I'm I'm a full time novelist and creative entrepreneur, <laughs> and I have been running the Worried Writer podcast for five years, although I'm on a a wee hiatus at the moment. And I about a year ago, I achieved my ambition of hiring my husband out of his job, um, so that we could work together on the publishing company that we've set up. So yes, that's what's changed. I think.
0: Wow. Okay. I want to talk that isn't the topic of our conversation <laughs> but I have to mention it because so in 2015 I hit that goal as well so I we don't have to talk about numbers but I had a number in my mind we hit mm-hmm. that number I was like right you can leave your job uh, and he did and that was 2015 in in 2020 during the first iteration of the pandemic <laughs> of course as we record this we're still in pandemic times but he decided to leave our publishing company <laughs> and go back to his day job uh, in the farmer uh, industry as a statistician it's been a year but is that something that you were keen on or something that he was also keen on?
1: (laughs) Oh I think both of us honestly but it's been it's absolutely been my why when you when you recommend people to find success for themselves and so Mm. on and I took that advice and I did it and I looked at the why behind that figure and it was absolutely this heartfelt desire to give my lovely supportive husband freedom because he has worked And supported me to both be a full-time mum when our kids were wee and to pursue my writing. He encouraged me to give up paid freelance work, to free up time to write novels. And I just wanted to give back to him, um, partly. And also, we've, we're both quite entrepreneurial. And we did run a business together for a wee while. And a few years ago, many years ago now, and we loved working together. So it's always been a kind of also like a joint kind of long term, wouldn't it be amazing if we could both have that independence and work for ourselves.
0: Oh, that's great to hear. (laughs) And uh, yes, so I would say to people that it's one of those goals that I think a lot of people do have, whatever side of the coin you're on is, can I get my partner, give Mm -hmm. my partner freedom? And but then of course, it's up to that partner to decide what freedom means to them. (laughs) (laughs) We had a a few happy years. And then as Jonathan was basically bored in my what is essentially my business. So it It'll be very interesting to see how that goes over time. What you also said something there you, that he encouraged you to come out of paid freelance writing to write novels. So mm-hmm. clearly he's got a business mindset as well. But I, I know many people listening do freelance writing. So what changed your focus from freelance to writing books? What's the difference business
1: wise? Um, I've been, I was the sort of bookworm kid. So this is my journey into writing was partly because of myself, no, mainly because of my self-doubt, I chose a sort of shadow career of magazine journalism. So that was the freelance I was doing for many years, even while I was writing these angsty journal entries about why couldn't I write fiction (laughs) and why wasn't I trying really properly to write fiction. Um, So that was the paid work I was doing. And my husband was just this continual supporter of my dreams of being a fiction writer, so he would not bat an eyelid, and we had we were not we were struggling for money everything it was tight, but he would continually encourage me to drop paid freelance work so that the hours in the day I did have to focus on words, I could use them writing fiction and I think that that's partly just he's a very amazing, loving, supportive husband. But I do think it's also that he believed in me. And he also could maybe see the long term, the long term possibilities from a business point of view. And his career has been in sort of software, and he's seen software development and so on. And he knows that you can work on something for a long time before it will pay you back. (laughs) So I think he did bring that sort of perspective that I couldn't really see at the time. Mm. And of course, we create intellectual property assets, mm-hmm. you know, with
0: our writing, and you don't do that as a freelance writer, you're essentially writing for hire. So yes, sorry. The money, mm-hmm. the money comes in once, and you're never going to see that money again. Whereas with novels, even the, and, and nonfiction books, you spend that time once, but the money keeps
1: on coming, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a revelation when you get that, when the penny drops on that, it is... Fantastic.
0: <laughs> so, so um, also tell us, like, what? How long did it take you to get to this point of uh, hiring your husband out and going full time? And how many years did that take? And how many books?
1: Okay, sure. First off, I went traditional, and um, so we'll just push to one side the years of rejection, and <laughs> having the wrong agent, getting the right agent. We'll just push that under the carpet. And um, so, if we say I got my first traditional deal. In 2012, and the book came out in 2013. So that was my debut. And very quickly, that had been my dream. And very quickly, I discovered that it wasn't maybe all it was cracked up to be, and it hadn't cured my self doubt. And then around that time, I discovered you, (laughs) Joanna. So all of this is your fault. And um, I've told you before, and I will tell you again, I'm eternally grateful for you being my unofficial uh, mentor without even knowing it, because you explained uh, that you could look at your writing as a business and until that point I had been very business-minded about my freelance journalism. I'd been business-minded about the business I started. I had never, stupidly, I had never applied a business head to my writing career and as soon as I did everything changed and so as soon as I could see that I immediately realised with abundant clarity that the very best way to have a long-term business in writing was to be the publisher, was to go very much at least hybrid, if not entirely independent. So yeah, so that's what everything changed for me there. But it took me a couple of years of being tried published, having some success and um, having some good experiences to really get my confidence enough to my toe in going it alone, which did feel very scary to me. I did, I harbored this really daft idea somehow deep down that publishers sprinkled some sort of fairy dust on books and that you, you couldn't, that you didn't have if you did it yourself, um, which I know a lot of my fellow trad authors have that deep down fear. And of course, it's simply not true. But anyway, so it took me a week, but then it was 2015, 20 let's say 2017, that's it, when I released the Worried Writer book which was my first dipping my toe in and that was non-fiction that felt less scary somehow. And then I loved that and I loved the control, I loved the whole experience and so then I launched my fiction independent project which was Crow Investigations urban fantasy series and the first one came out in October 2018 the second one came out 2019, the third one, 2019. Uh, the fourth and fifth came out last year. So that's five books in the Crow Investigation series and a couple of nonfiction and a standalone supernatural thriller, which I also released independently. So is that three years and eight books? Mm. If I'm counting? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so that's independent. And before that, are five traditionally published
0: Wow, which is, and I'm obviously, I'm really happy that I was able to help on your journey, but it's. It is interesting, or it's always interesting to me who puts these things into action mm-hmm. and and how successful it can be. So that's actually pretty quick. Mm. And obviously you've learned your writing chops over more than a decade. So, you know, you can write books a bit faster than other people. And we're certainly not suggesting that new writers might do it just as fast, but that's pretty awesome. Now, so I want to come back to this uh, self-doubt thing <laughs> because, <laughs> because this is one of those things people, like you said, You thought the self-doubt would go away when you uh, had a traditional publishing deal, but it didn't. So has the self-doubt gone away now or how do you deal with it?
1: No, the self-doubt I have accepted is never, ever going to go away. Um, But I have got a lot of strategies for dealing with it and just getting on with work anyway. Um, I think accepting that it's going to be there rather than continually fretting that it being there means something is very helpful. I also know that it is just trying to protect me because all of this stuff is super scary. So whether it's publishing a book, giving it to a friend to read or a beta reader, or whether it's doing some marketing, All of these things give us the fear because it's the same fears. It's fear of failure. It's fear of success. It's fear of exposure. Um, So whether someone's reading your book or whether you're promoting your book, so encouraging people to read that book, either way, it just triggers those same fears. And what's what's transformed for me, what has helped me, and means that I can still just carry on doing the things, The essential thing is recognizing that is completely normal. We are weirdos as writers, (laughs) but in this area, we're all the same. And pardon me, running my podcast and listening to your wonderful podcast, time and time again, no matter how externally successful or confident even an author appears, the same things come up. They still feel imposter syndrome. They still feel self-doubt. So that's really the difference for me is that I am aware of it, I look it square in the eye, I maybe journal about it, and then I come up with a plan with lots of really tiny wee blocks of tasks that I can do, and then I just do them.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I still suffer from fear of judgment. It is my <laughs> big one. I think we all have one particular thing, don't we? And that <laughs> is mine. Like, I really, I just want everyone to like me. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah.
0: And if they don't like it might we mm-hmm. have to separate ourselves from our books and not everyone's going to like our books or, or people might think we, as you say, we're weird or yeah just something and even still I'm so I'm not with you because I we know each other now but I sometimes I'm sitting here waiting for a call like a podcast interview and my heart is banging and I'm just I'm like what how can I do this how can I it's terrifying.
1: Who am I? I mean
0: this is just ridiculous and yeah so I wanted to share that too because I I still think that this never goes away, and I've, as you say, the extra, I've seen and heard authors who you think are the top of their game after mm-hmm. decades, and they still have, they still have self doubt about something. And maybe Definitely. that's just because we care. You know, if we didn't care, we wouldn't have these feelings uh, about it. And we do have to learn to live with them and not get over it. I don't think you can get over it either, but you just have to put them to one side and carry on with your work.
1: And I'm nodding away here because I agree so wholeheartedly with you that it is because we care. It is, and that's such a good way to look at it because you can reframe it a wee bit that the reason you're feeling, the reason you're feeling sick is because you care about this. But another, speaking of the about chat thing, and I'm still terrified before things like this, even though I I know you and I know how lovely you are, and I was looking forward to it as well, but what's something that I've been doing, which... Again, you may well have recommended this, but it's thinking about the reader, or in this case, of course, thinking about the listener. So trying to move away from my feelings about it, I'm terrified that I'm going to babble and make a fool of myself. (laughs) But why am I doing it? I'm doing it because I'm hoping that somebody, uh, maybe one person will hear something useful, or feel reassured, or feel some sort of sense of community or encouragement. That's why I'm doing it, because I want to help other people. And so when I focus on that side of it, it just seems to make it a wee bit easier.
0: Absolutely. And I when I get nice emails I print them out and I put them in my journal and it really helps but I think these waves of self-doubt are just completely <laughs> part of the creative process so people listening if you're feeling it that is normal <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's talk about being introverts because it's so funny you, uh, I, I don't take phone calls like I, I don't get on the phone it's funny <laughs> being a podcaster because like I just have my phone on uh, do not disturb all the time I don't like speaking to people really I I really struggle in co- conference. And I've admitted many times, but I I do have a few drinks to help me actually be more. like interact with humans (laughs) definitely (laughs) pretty pretty introverted when it comes down to things but obviously your book is the introvert author's guide to marketing now I feel that most people think oh I'm an introvert or I just want to write I don't even want to engage with marketing so tell us when you realized that you actually had to learn this (laughs) and what is the mindset we need to have around marketing
1: uh, I think it was quite soon on because again, you go to the magical land of, of being a traditionally published author and I'd somehow imagined that maybe sales and marketing would take care of sales and marketing. And of course, <laughs> they do to a certain extent dependent on the you know sort of contract you've got and so on. But really it all comes down to the author because you are the brand. And there is a lot of stuff that really is better done by the author when it comes to certainly content marketing, of course. Um, So I realized then I was going to have to do it, but I still resisted it. And I was very much, I I felt like I'd made all these great strides. And I wrote Stop Worrying, Start Writing. And I nailed down my self-doubt for writing books and and so on. And, And I felt really great about that. But then I realized that I was still... I was still resisting marketing and I was still being very negative around it. And I was falling into the patterns that a lot of authors do, to be fair. And if you hang around author groups or or chat to other uh, authors at any time, people say things like, I just want to write, as you said, or I hate marketing or, and I realized that all of, All of that negativity was not helping me and I was going to have to reframe it. I was going to have to change my attitude to it. And so I got very intentional about who I listened to, where I spent time, and I continually questioned people's phrasing. So if somebody said, oh, I just don't want to market, I would think, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean you don't want anyone to read your books? Does that mean you don't want to sell any books? Does that apply to me? No. (laughs) And again, it's going back to your why. So again, I recommend journaling for this. Just continually interrogating yourself like an annoying therapist person. Just keep on saying, what does that mean? And what does that, why do you want to sell books? And what will that lead to? And why? Until you write out getting to the core of why you want to do these things, but also getting to the core of your feelings of um, ambivalence or negativity around it. Because I truly believe that if you, Excuse me. I truly believe that if you said to yourself, "Okay, I want to sell more books and have loads of, you know, adoring readers and make six figures a year so that I can have this life of freedom that I want. And in order to do that, I have to spend an hour a day um, writing. I don't know. Let's get specific about the marketing activities, but let's say an hour a day of marketing activities. And it is guaranteed to give me those things that I want I really do believe that most folk would immediately feel more positive about the marketing. I think it's because we feel at sea with it. We feel like we don't know what's going to work. So we're flailing and nothing seems to make any difference or we're not sure what made a difference if that makes sense. So we've got that, that, that lack of control. We feel a sense uh, that we're out of control or that we don't control it. So if you can work on your mindset to develop optimism that it is going to work, <laughs> patience, because it's going to take a wee while, and also to really get very clear about the fact that you don't have to market. If you want these certain things in life or if you want these certain measures of success, then you have to market. But nobody is holding a gun to your head. You can just write. You don't even have to publish. So again, don't use that language. You do not have to do it. You are choosing to share news of your books because you would like to sell books and you would like to give readers a wonderful escapist experience that you love and spread a bit of joy in the world or whatever your other success goal is. And so always just catch yourself. Don't let yourself say those things.
0: That's I've great. gone very I...
1: much of a tangent there, sorry. No, no I don't you have, because I think
0: that mindset shift is a really important thing. It has to be the first thing. You have to acknowledge that, for example, being an author is not just about writing first draft words. Mm-hmm. You get that question at conferences all the time. I've had it so many times. You say you're a full-time Author, although I say I'm a full-time author entrepreneur, mm. you say you're a full-time author and yet you don't spend your all your time <sighs> writing. And it's seriously, how many full-time writers do <laughs> spend all day <laughs> writing? Successful writers spend some of their time writing and the other half of their time marketing, doing business things, answering emails with readers. You must get this now. The more popular you are, the more books you sell, the more emails you get. And yeah. answering your emails from your readers is actually part of marketing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> And then you have to make, that's really important. People love to be heard. So let's talk about a few things. One thing I think is fantastic about your urban fantasy series, obviously your books are all wonderful, but your urban <laughs> fantasy series has very clear branding. So how do you, because I think people who now hear marketing, they think, Oh, Amazon advertising, but mm-hmm. your book covers to me are a huge part of your marketing.
1: So how did you specifically do, do that process? Thank you so much. And I'm very proud of them, even though obviously I didn't do the designing. Um, but Yes, you're absolutely right. The the marketing, um, a lot of readers, I'm sorry, a lot of authors don't realize that the most important bit of marketing, your core marketing package is your book cover, your branding, your series branding, if you have a series, your blurb, your set, all of that, that, your keywords, uh, the categories you're in, all of that sort of core package is the most important thing. And nothing else after that will have any effect if that's or will have a minimal effect if that's not correct. And so what I did was I decided to start top level. So I thought about what was my overall strategy? What was my overall publishing strategy for going indie? And what did I want to achieve? And I wanted to not have a pen name, because long term, I don't want to be running loads of pen names. I just I'm too lazy. And (laughs) I didn't want to do it. Um, Also, I wanted to try and keep uh, as many of my existing readers that I had through my trad books. And so I wanted to make sure that the books were absolutely indistinguishable from my trad published books. I wanted to, not just in terms of quality of cover, but in a more subliminal way. I also wanted to make a promise to the reader that I could keep because I'm all about a long-term career, a long-term sustainable business. I only want to make promises that I can keep. And when you're looking at, so part of my strategy was that I'm only going to be releasing once or twice a year in fiction because I'm not a fast writer. So I didn't want to make a promise. Like I said, I didn't want to suggest that I was going to be on a fast release schedule. Again, possibly subliminally, but that's what I thought about. So having decided <laughs> that I was a wide author, again, mimicking trad and also for other business reasons, um, I looked at other traditional authors um, in urban fantasy. Now, urban fantasy as a genre, if you do the traditionally, sorry, the the usual suggestion for this kind of research you look at your genre and you look at the top selling in your genre and like how many are in KU and you use that to decide whether to go into KU or not and you look at the covers and you match those but of course the top in urban fantasy are majority KU because a majority indie and um, they all had the covers with a figure uh, with a weapon or some sort of magic around them and I love those covers they look great and um, but the traditionally published books that were sprinkled in in a round that weren't in KU tended to have uh, more symbolic covers you know they'd have symbols they maybe have a silhouette they would have framing they looked very different or maybe a map they looked very different so I deliberately chose those as my model because they matched my overall publishing strategy and my long-term strategy Yeah. So I use those as my comp authors. And when I worked on my design brief uh, for the series and I worked with the wonderful Stuart Beish is absolutely the reason why the covers look so great because he just nailed it immediately um, and was fantastic to work with. Oh, and another thing that I did when I was coming up with the branding for the series was, um, it's very unlike me, so I'm quite proud of myself. So um, (laughs) I really want to share it because I'm always saying to people when I'm you know, giving advice and being very wise. I'm always saying, (laughs) don't make decisions out of fear. Make decisions from a place of abundance. Make decisions from a place of joy. Make decisions based on you succeeding. I'm always saying that. And whenever I've managed to do it, it feels great. And it every single time has turned out to be a decision I'm thrilled with. So this is a really good example of it because I also thought, if this series was actually really successful, those symbol a symbol type cover would really lend itself to merchandising. Oh. So I would have I've got the symbols for the different families. So you've got, you have got the name of the pearls, the foxes, uh, the crows, and the silvers. And I thought those those symbols could go on badges and, and all of that. And I pictured that and got excited. And so that was another reason I went with that was this idea that if it was successful. You know, I I didn't genuinely, I didn't believe it would be that successful, really. I didn't imagine it would be that successful, but I planned as if it might be. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I love that. So so wait, do you have the merch now? I do. I've got, yeah, I've got badges. (laughs) At the moment, they're one of my kind of reader club exclusive perks. But with the whole, this year, one of my plans is to do more selling wide, I'm sorry, selling direct and also nurturing the fan nurturing my readers and yes I'm looking to expand the merch range and make the badges available and things
0: Ah, that's awesome
1: (laughs) I love that and what I gotta
0: ask you then because I'm also like you I want I have an abundance mindset like it drives Mm -hmm. me nuts when people say there are too many books in the world or you know too many authors (laughs) and how is it fair and Uh, I'm like no you just don't get it like the more the merrier we're a self-sustaining industry the more people write books the more they buy books (laughs) definitely Definitely <laughs> That's literally how it works but do you have <laughs> do you have any particular self-help kind of books that you recommend for people who might be like I really just don't think that way how can I change my
1: mindset I absolutely recommend your your books I know you weren't fishing for that but oh my goodness yeah I read Business for Authors uh, a couple of years ago, you're very good on that. But also, and I, again, I think I've discovered Christine Catherine Rush via you, and um, so thank you again. But I think Chris and Dean Wesley Smith are very good on this stuff because they've got that long term view. And um, so I think they're very good. And Dean Wesley Smith's very good at uh, articulating how to value your IP as well. Um, and in terms of the abundance. I'm not sure if I can think of any books in particular. I will have a think if I think of them after. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was really curating what I paid attention to was a big, I came out of a lot of quite useful Facebook groups because you think that you're looking away quickly. You think that you're not being affected by seeing that person moaning about more books or more authors or somebody moaning about marketing or somebody moaning about a retailer or whatever. You think because you've refuted it in your mind, you think that you've got away with it. But in my experience is that all of our work goes on in our heads. So we have to protect that environment as if it were, incredible. well, it is incredibly valuable. We have to protect that environment. Do not let, if you're at all as suggestible or prone to self-doubt as I am, do not let any of that stuff even cross your, not in front of your eyeballs, come out of that group, come out of, do not talk about writing with that person and um, all of that. So that's what I've really done is really prune <laughs> who mm-hmm. I pay attention to online and, and podcasts and so on. Oh yeah,
0: and Dean and Chris obviously have forty years each or something mm-hmm. in in the publishing industry, and they are my uh, mentors from afar as such as well. And <laughs> but it's also the money side. I you'll mm-hmm. hear writers say, "I can't make money." writing, or you can't make money writing, mm. or there's no money in writing, or all authors, poor authors in the garret. And and <laughs> I agree with you, it's, your, lang- your language and other people's language train your brain into certain grooves. And mm-hmm. getting out of that is so important for us in order to make success happen. And, and in fact, it's interesting, it happens at different levels. So this is something uh, to come back to your goal of getting your husband out of his job, because I hit that Level, and then I was like, "Oh, wait! I've just spent <laughs> almost a decade aiming for that. What next?" So, what what are you doing with your mindset now? Now you've moved up
1: to the oh, next level. It's such a great question, and it's oh my goodness, it's so true that you and me. I've always just immediately moved the goalposts. First <laughs> off, it was if I could make the same amount of money that I'd get working in a library, like a real life job, then that will be success. And then when I hit that, I didn't even notice hitting it, Joanna. I immediately, (laughs) I'd already moved the goals. (laughs) Um, So yes, I did find myself doing that this year, not this, uh, the last few months uh, of immediately feeling down when my, because income fluctuates, book sales fluctuate. And then I'd have like my best month ever. And then the next month would be lower, funnily enough. And I'd find myself thinking, oh, I'm a bit of, you know, oh, that's worrying or I'm i I'd failed somehow. And so it was immediately, even though all of that was still so way above any of my initial goals. Mm. Yeah, that's a work in progress is my blethery answer to that. But I think I do always need something that I'm aiming for. I think the next thing is saving up for more financial freedom or slash possibly a bigger house, depending, (laughs) but saving. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we've got quite a quite quite a small house and actually the kids are leaving home so it'll seem bigger then but there's I have this sort of dream I'm not very mercenary but I do like fantasy house shopping so occasionally (laughs) (laughs) I think how amazing would it be as well we're very lucky I'm very proud of the fact that we've paid the mortgage off on here because of writing and that feels great but the idea of buying a house and looking at it and thinking the stuff I made up out of my head this house (laughs) how cool would that be that would be very cool so I've got that which I can't even believe I'm sharing because that's quite embarrassing no it's
0: it's (laughs) brilliant and this is really important around money mindset as Mm. well because the moment we try and put a break on what we Mm. dream and want and a a home of whatever kind is is absolutely a part of human nature (laughs) to to want those things and to provide for your family and look financial success is one side of the coin and creative success is the other but Mm. uh, financial is much easier to measure than (laughs) than creative success always wanted financial
1: success I Mm. just couldn't admit it for a long time oh but I have always wanted it I've always wanted to success for me was not just getting husband out of job or or providing him with that opportunity but it was to pay the mortgage to pay for the kids that you need to buy the food to be successful by that measure was always it's always been very important to me, um, and now it's also about freedom. Like, if I decide not to buy a house, then that big chunk of money that I would have saved could then be for that sort of financial uh, independence thing, where we could—I wouldn't worry so much about each book, maybe, mm. or it would take the pressure off financially. We could—I'm not planning to retire, but you know what I mean. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it just gives you more choice and and
0: that's one of the reasons we do this we want to creative freedom to write the books we want Mm -hmm. but also financial freedom and I think it's really good to talk about these things I talk about these things and Mm. because it normalizes it but within the traditional traditionally published author sphere it's a big no-no to talk about money because more mostly because most people either don't have any or some Mm -hmm. very few authors get paid the big bucks (laughs) and most people don't so true you know so it's not really talked about but we've been we've gone deep into mindset which is very (laughs) cool but I did just want to circle back on being an introvert because (laughs) the book is the introvert author's guide to marketing so Uh um, how is being an introvert actually a superpower when it comes to online marketing?
1: Well obviously I did use that in the title because I'm an introvert and I also know lots of us are and I wanted to make it clear that you could still market and sell as an introvert. And so I don't, I have no idea if it's a superpower. But what I do know is that we have been in training for online marketing our whole lives, because it's exactly how we prefer to deal with the world. We prefer generally, again, introverts generally get their energy from being alone, uh, rather than being physically with other people. And we also quite generally Conversations and things that we control to a certain extent. We're perfectly suited in that we can manage our energy because we're used to the fact that we gather energy when we're on our own, which is when we can do all this creation and all this batching of content or scheduling. And then we can communicate with a really large part of the world via the wonders of the internet, but on our own terms. And so even if it's something that's in- involving more sort of extrovert energy, like this conversation, I'm still sitting very comfortably in my pajamas, in my home office, feeling with this sort of planned conversation, which is perfectly suited for my mm-hmm. introvert side. And and I also think that because it's suits our existing preference for communication and for creation and for connection and it means that we've got quite a wide variety of things that we can choose from online marketing is very multivarious whereas I think the in-person marketing is more limited and it's more limited at the stage you're at so you can start your online marketing whatever stage you're at as an author and whatever level of success or and so on because it's very cheap or free. Um, and you don't need to have a load of people turning up to make it worthwhile. It can be evergreen. Uh, so you can gather people over time. Whereas obviously in-person things, it's much more of a more likely that you will need to have bang for your buck when, I don't know, hired a bookshop for, for a book signing <laughs> event. Um, so yes, as I say, I, I just think we're very well suited to it. And
0: what specific things do you find work for your book marketing?
1: For nonfiction content marketing, all the way. Um, so the podcast and sharing things on the website, articles and so on. Um, and yeah, that's very much, that was worked very well. And for fiction, I am still very much a work in progress for content marketing. Uh, What I find works really well is my newsletter, having a website and keeping that updated and sharing. I'm trying to get better at developing my sort of social media sharing and content marketing that way. But honestly, it's early days. It's more plans and so do you use paid advertising i do a tiny bit so again it's on my list for this year but so last year for example was a sort of comfortable six figure profit year and it was my second six figure year as well which was great and i spent about 300 pounds a month on amazon ads and that was my paid advertising. And um, apart from, I think I probably haven't looked at all the figures. So I don't want to mislead anyone. If I had a book bub, I obviously would have paid for a book bub deal or things like occasionally if I haven't had a promo for a while, then I will use the if I can't get a book bub, then I'll use the other sort of newsletter promo places like Bargain Booksy and so on. I haven't done a lot of that. It's again on my list for this year. I have scheduled a few promo dates in 2021 to get a wee bit more organized and do some more concerted promotional efforts when it comes to paid advertising. And I'm just starting to dip my toe in Facebook ads. But yeah, that's all new for me. So the reason I'm saying that is not to boast, but to say that it is possible if someone says to you that it's completely impossible you have to spend ten thousand, you know, pounds or dollars a month in order to sell books. Um, it's not true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's certainly not true. I've never done that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, I mean, you, I, I mainly do content marketing. Mm. That's what I enjoy. But I think paid ads can pl- play a part in a marketing schedule. But what Definitely. I like about what you're saying is, and I think what we've talked about in general with the mindset and the attitude is, you also have to find what works for you for the long term that you're mm. happy with because we didn't leave the day job or we didn't <sighs> do this in order to have a miserable life. It has to work mm. for you, your life, your
1: personality. Definitely. Yeah. And I think the other thing from content marketing, I've mentioned my newsletter. And again, this is not nothing new for anybody. Unfortunately, I I have a free reader magnet, and I have the newsletter sign up in the back of my books and all of those kinds of, again, the sort of core, the sort of the core reader experience is optimised. So if someone has just finished reading the book, they are encouraged to either, if I want them to pre-order the next book, it's that, or usually it's to sign up, you know, for my newsletter. And that's something that I'm going to continue to work on because it is so valuable. Probably the most valuable
0: thing. Oh, I keep coming back to it, especially... (laughs) Yeah, just the more well as we uh, talk now, we're recording this, and uh, the Biden administration has just begun. And regardless of of whichever side of the house has dominated, everyone's coming after big tech. So we could have a real shakeup of what what regulation we'll have around the sites that a lot of people rely on. Whereas mm-hmm. having our email lists mean that we can we can talk to readers, we can sell direct, we can do things that mean we're not entirely dependent. On these big sites, and like you've mentioned, the word freedom a number of times, and that's part of it, isn't it?
1: Definitely. And again, I think when I was tried to publish, I I don't I'd had very little reader inter- had some reader interaction over social media and so on and some emails, and um, but the difference between that and with my indie books, it's just exploded. And of course, in my, say my books for Lake Union, for example, I know that I sold a good number of In the Light of What We See, but there is no sign up in the back for my newsletter. Mm. There is, you, you pointed to the publisher, which is perfectly fair. That's their, it's their business. I understand that. But seeing the difference of getting that reader interaction built, that sense that I'm building a readership, that I have a way to communicate with them, as you just said, that's independent of the, the changing landscape of Facebook or whatever, um, or of, of another publisher is, oh, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> it feels incredible.
0: Oh, great. Where can people find you and your (laughs) books online?
1: Uh, If you go to any of the stores, then you should be able to find uh, me and my books. Um, But for my website, it's uh, sarah-painter.com. Or if you want the back episodes of The Worried Writer and some other sort of writerly advice, it's worriedwriter.com. And just a quick note on the Stop Worrying, Start Selling. I have a very cunning secret pen name for that, which is Sarah R. Painter. I'm sure you'll still find them. But uh, yes, I just wanted to separate my nonfiction out a tiny wee bit.
0: Yes, and obviously I do the same. So thank (laughs) you so much, Sarah. That was brilliant.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk to you.
0: So I hope you found the discussion interesting today and that you can have a think about your own mindset when it comes to various aspects of the author life. What do you think about marketing, about ambition, about self-doubt? How can we accept certain aspects of ourselves and improve others? So next week, I have a wide-ranging interview with David Farland, who has been in the publishing industry since the late 1980s. We talk about how publishing has changed in the last few years and what his recommendations are for the best route for authors now, plus the long-term view of creating intellectual property assets and story arcs that can satisfy an audience who love to binge consume on Netflix. So that is coming up next week. In the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time.